Greetings, this is the Illum Radio, a different kind of oldies program. I'm your host, John Lovering. Welcome. If you like film noir, spy thrillers, you are listening to the right podcast because I have one of the best. The radio adaptation of The House on 92nd Street, starring Humphrey Bogart. This Hollywood dramatic anthology series known as Stars in the Air was one of several shows produced by the Screen Guild Theater, a charity production developed by the Screen Actors Guild to raise money for the Motion Picture Relief Fund, which was originally founded in 1921 by a group of silent film stars including Mary Pickford, Douglas Fairbanks, and Charlie Chaplin. The fund was created to help those in the film industry who had fallen on hard times. At the same time that actors were organizing themselves into a union, the Screen Actors Guild was formed. The members of the Screen Actors Guild recognized the value of the Motion Picture Relief Fund and contributed to it through the creation of Screen Guild radio programs. Guild members offered their features to the programs for very low or no fees and profits from the programs went to the fund. Screen Guild programs, therefore, involve some of the brightest stars in the Hollywood sky. When CBS Radio acquired the Screen Guild programs for the second time in 1951, Stars in the Air was one of the shows produced and broadcast under the Screen Guild umbrella. All Screen Guild productions were dramatic reenactments of famous motion pictures and were famous for their excellent production value. The House on 92nd Street, with Humphrey Bogart as Inspector Briggs, was aired on May 3, 1952. It was based on the 1945 black-and-white American spy film directed by Henry Hathaway. The movie, shot mostly in New York City, was released shortly at the end of World War II. The House on 92nd Street was made with the full cooperation of the FBI, whose director, J. Edgar Hoover, appeared during the introductory montage. Also, the FBI agents shown in Washington, D.C. were played by actual agents. The film's semi-documentary style inspired other films, including The Naked City and Boomerang. The House on 92nd Street was based on a real-life case. It involved counter-espionage operations that began in 1939 and involved Germany, Japan, and the United States, and of course World War II. Oh, and it involves a house on 92nd Street. The film won an Academy Award for Best Original Motion Picture in 1946. Heirloom Radio now presents a rebroadcast of the May 3rd, 1952 Stars in the Sky radio adaptation of The House on 92nd Street with Humphrey Bogart. Thank you for listening. This is Humphrey Bogart. This is Keith Purcell. And this is Hugh Douglas saying, Welcome to Stars in the Air. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome again to another 30 minutes of transcribed adventure. A most extraordinary story tonight, one that would be hard to believe if it weren't documented by fact. 
Stars in the Air is proud to bring you 20th Century Fox Studios' great box office hit, The House on 92nd Street, starring Keith Brussell in the role of Bill, and this year's Academy Award winner, Humphrey Bogart, as Inspector Briggs. In all the crowded, secret files of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, no record is more amazing or spectacular than the case of Process 97. Now at last, the story can be told. And here is the only man who can tell it, Inspector George A. Briggs of the FBI. The case of Process 97 began for us in the FBI on the 13th of May, 1941. And strangely enough, it began with an accident. An accident, and one other thing. A pair of pointed patent leather shoes. May 13th, 1941. That afternoon, while crossing a busy New York street, a man had been hit by a taxicab. He was badly injured. And afterward, in the ambulance, with the intern and the traffic policeman... What do you think, Doc? Has he got a chance? Not much. You think maybe he'll... Wait a minute. He's trying to talk. Listen. Hey, Joe. Slow down. He's through. Hmm. I wonder who he was. Well, there might be some identification on him. Yeah. Here's something. Spanish passport. Francisco Alvarez. Notebook, too. Say, Doc, this stuff is all in German. Let's see. Uh, stuff about uh, uh, ships, I think. And, uh, Brand Kerngeschoss. Hmm? Uh, that means incendiary bullet. It does? Hey, what kind of stuff is that for a guy to be carrying around? With a war on? Yeah. Yeah, does seem something funny about it. I'll say. I'm going to turn this stuff over to the FBI. One look and I knew this stuff was hot. I didn't know how hot until later. And while my laboratory men were going over the notebook and the other papers taken off the dead man, I had the driver of the cab brought in. You see, Inspector, there was two of them. And they was talking and not looking. And I slammed on the brakes. But when I was... Now, what happened to the other man? Oh, he, uh, he jumped out of the way. And the next thing I know, I, I'm out in the street holding this fellow's head and screaming for an ambulance. And, and then the other guy picked up his briefcase. He's carrying and... a briefcase? Uh, yes, sir. And, and, and I remember seeing his pal pick it up, see? But later, when I look around for him, he's gone. Well, uh, uh, could you give me a description? Uh, uh, no, sir, uh... Uh, well, except, uh, except maybe one little thing. Yeah, what was that? Well, I was holding this fellow, see, like I told you, see, and, and, and the other guy was standing there for a second, and, uh, and I noticed one thing. Yes? His shoes. Shoes? Yeah, his shoes. A pair of pointed patent leather shoes. That stuff's come through the lab, Mr. Briggs. Get anything? The Spanish letter had a German message written in between the lines, invisible ink, in code. Cryptanalysis seen it? Yes, sir. They've broken it down. It says, Herr Christoph, wer dich 
auf Prozess 97 konzentrieren. That uh, translates, Mr. Christopher will concentrate on Prozess 97. Repeat that. Uh, Herr Christoph, Mr. Christopher, will concentrate on Prozess 97. Uh, uh, thanks, that's all. Yes, sir. Hello? Briggs speaking. Set up a conference with Army and Navy Intelligence at once. Mr. Christopher will concentrate on... This is impossible, Mr. Briggs. No one knows that Process 97 even exists. I'm afraid the Germans know. How much they know, General, is something we'll have to find out. You've got to work fast. I understand. I'm not so sure you do, Mr. Briggs. Perhaps I should tell you... Process 97 is not just another weapon. Not just a new explosive. Its properties, the scientific principles involved, may someday revolutionize life on this planet. Its military application is so devastating that I hope we will never be forced to use it. But until the process is perfected, it must be kept an absolute secret. And for that, we look to the FBI. We'll do our best, sir. Have you any other information? Well, not at this time. Well, there must be some lead. Who is this Mr. Christopher? I wish I knew. I was in a blind alley, and I knew it. But as it happened, at almost that very moment, across the sea in Hamburg, Germany... You will sail for New York tomorrow, Herr Dietrich, by way of Lisbon. I'm ready, Herr Strassen. I have your papers here. Draft card, driver's license, army discharge, social security. No one could tell them from originals. Hmm, pretty neat. These are your credentials, and here are the messages. Microfilm. They will fit into the back of your watch. Okay. Your mission is vital. When you reach New York, you will go immediately to Miss Elsa Gearhart. Through her, you will contact Colonel Hammerson and Adolf Klein. These are the only contacts you will make, Herr Dietrich. I see. Now, one thing more. There is one person in the United States who can countermand the orders I have given you. If you ever receive instructions from a Mr. Christopher, abandon everything else and place yourself entirely at his disposal. I understand. Now, uh, where will I find this Elsa Gerhardt? She runs a fashionable dress shop in New York. I have the address here. In a house on 92nd Street. That was all very neat except for one thing. Bill Dietrich happened to be one of our men. An American born to German parents, the Nazis had made him a tempting offer and apparently he'd agreed to work for them. But before he even sailed from Lisbon, his watch, with the precious microfilm, was exchanged for a duplicate and on its way to us by Atlantic Clipper. And 27 hours later, in our laboratory... You want this microfilm altered, Mr. Briggs? Uh, just the last line. See where it says he's forbidden to contact any other agent? Yes, sir. How do you want it to read? Authorized to contact all other agents. I smuggled Bill's watch back to him myself as he was coming through customers. And as it turned out, that wasn't any too soon. From the moment he left the pier, he was followed... By a pair of pointed, patent leather shoes. Elsa, you're sure these are his credentials? Microfilm, like all the others, Max. I don't like it. All the rest of us are forbidden to contact other agents. Why should he have so much authority? Why not ask him? I'll call him in. Ah. All right, Mr. Beasley. Hello? 
This is Max Koberg. Used to be with the Eisen Wachtbund. Max has special duties. Yes, I know. Gestapo. I know about him. What do you know? The usual things. Yes? Well, what do we know about you? You've seen my credentials. Perhaps you'd like to tell us more. Where did you come from? Germany. Where in Germany? Hamburg, 26 Klockstrasse. Who sent you? Colonel Felix Strassen. When did you leave? Three weeks ago. When did you arrive? Look, why do I have to answer all these questions? I showed you my credentials. Maybe you don't want to tell us when you got here. Well, Mr. Dietrich? It isn't that. It's just that Very I... Very well, we'll tell you. You left the pier at 10.50 this morning. You took a cab to the Martinique Hotel, 30th and Broad, checked in, stayed there until 12.30. You took a bus to Times Square, went into the Silver Dollar at 46th Street, had a cup of coffee. You left at 1.17, went into the newsreel. You spent an hour in the theater, then you took a cab to 92nd and 5th, got out and walked the rest of the way over here. Well, looks like you know all about me. And we are going to keep on knowing. What's so special about you, Dietrich? Special? Why should you be authorized to know all our agents? Hamburg wants information direct and quickly. I'm to build a shortwave radio set. You'll help me get the parts, of course. And all information will clear through me, and those are orders. I see. You're to put me in touch with Hammershon and Adolf Klein. I've got money for them. I'll open an engineering office. They can contact me there. Now, if you'll give me back my credentials. Of course. Thanks. And I'll let you know when I've got my office open. See you soon, I hope. Elsa, I don't like it. He knows too much. I don't care about his credentials. I'm going to check them, Max. I'm going to ask Hamburg for confirmation. How? By mail, through Brazil. That will take a little time, of course. But I'm willing to wait and be sure. That was the summer of 1941. Bill set up his office right away. A blind for the Nazis. A better blind for us. Through a secret opening in the wall, we took motion pictures of everyone who came in, made recordings of everything they said. In the meantime, Bill got a short wave set going in a lonely section of New Jersey. And that seemed to satisfy Els and Max. But there was one little thing they didn't know. Well, I've substituted parts for the ones they brought me. The way the set is built now, I can only set about 100 miles. Well, that's enough to reach our long-range station. We'll pick up whatever messages you send, take out what we think is dangerous, and send the rest on through to Hamburg. And we'll pick up their answers and relay the unimportant stuff to you. <laughs> what are you grinning at, Bill? You know, it's quite a gag. Yes, quite a gag. And it worked. That's how we operated for months, getting our information straight from Berlin. And all the time, Bill was widening his contacts. New people coming to his office constantly to be photographed and recorded... We were building up quite a special file. But still no hint about Process 97. Still no clue to Mr. Christopher. Then all of a sudden, things began to happen. Starting with Sunday, December 7th. Extreme, extreme, Japanese attack Pearl Harbor. Extreme, extreme, Hitler declares war. The FBI was prepared. We were ready to act. Your name is Hans Mueller? Yes. You're under arrest. Oh, Schlosser? Yes. You're wanted by the FBI. Charles Ludwig Pagel? Yes. The FBI wants to talk to you. Come along. I didn't have Elsa and her pals brought in. I was still hoping for some kind of a break. And as it happens, it came that night. You want to see me, Elsa? I... 
I found your message at my hotel. Why did you take so long, Dietrich? Where have you been? Over at the radio shack. What's up? The war. At last. Now we will begin to teach these fools. I have an envelope here with some papers in it. You must get it to Hamburg as fast as you can make the transmission. All right, what is it? The most important job we have ever undertaken. If we hadn't done anything else in all the years we've been working here, the information in this envelope would be more than worth it. Now, Dietrich, it's up to you. Don't worry, I'll get it through. Cigarette? I don't smoke. My mistake. All right, let's have a look at those papers. You ought to have them back here tomorrow night. Yeah, that's a tough order. I've got to put them all in code. That takes time. Orders are not to be questioned. Why can't I just burn them after I've finished? Radio messages are often garbled. This data will also be sent by mail. The order comes from Mr. Christopher. Christopher? The envelope was delivered less than 30 minutes ago. I can't impress on you how urgent it is. You don't have to, Elsa. I think I can guess. Bill, you're sure she mentioned Christopher? I'm positive. Could you tell anything from the stuff in the envelope? Oh, well, they look like scientific formulas. They could be related to Process 97. I'll know better when Dr. Appleton gets here. He's flying up from Washington. Don't forget, I've got to return those papers by tomorrow. I don't... You know, it's the first lead I've had on Mr. Christopher. He's been so completely non-existent, I, I can't believe he delivered these papers himself. I'm pretty positive he didn't. What makes you so sure? Well, whoever did deliver those papers was in that room right before I got there. All right, then. Take a look at this. Uh, a cigarette butt. With lipstick on it. I snitched it out of Elsa's ashtray. <laughs> well, wouldn't you expect it to have lipstick on it? No, no, you wouldn't. That, that's my point. You see, Elsa Gerhard doesn't smoke. You are listening to The House on 92nd Street, starring Humphrey Bogart and Keith Brussell. Act two will follow in just a moment, but meanwhile, here's a friendly inside tip. Are some of your United States defense bonds reaching maturity this year? Here are important facts. By holding these bonds after they mature, your bonds will continue to earn interest for you. If you hold your matured bonds, the additional 10-year period is authorized by Congress, you will receive 77% more than your original investment. This means that your bonds are better than ever. The $75 invested in 1942 brings $100 today. In 1962, the original $75 invested will have grown to $133.33. Moreover, you will still have the privilege of cashing your bonds any time you need the money. And remember, there's absolutely nothing to do if you desire to take advantage of this new bond law. Just continue to hold your bonds. Yes, bonds are better than ever. Hold on to them. They spell security tomorrow. Now back to Stars in the Air and The House on 92nd Street, starring Humphrey Bogart as Inspector Briggs and Keith Brussell as Bill Dietrich, with Betty Lou Gerson in the role of Elsa. I had three things now. The papers Bill had just brought to me, the cigarette butt with the lipstick on it, and still... In the back of my mind, 
A pair of pointed patent leather shoes. Dr. Appleton arrived in Washington within the hour. For a long time, he studied the papers I handed him. When he looked up, his face was white with shock. Mr. Briggs, there's, there's no doubt about it. These papers contain data on process 97. Accurate? Appallingly. These are details of experiments we made barely two days ago. We had to work pretty fast. Dr. Appleton stayed with us most of that night, changing some of the figures. Just enough to throw the Germans off the track. Then we retyped the whole thing with the same kind of machine that had been used originally, and Bill transmitted it and took the envelope back to Elsa. Dr. Appleton was completely upset. I, I don't understand it, Mr. Briggs. Most of the workers and technicians never leave the central laboratory area. We have our own laundry, movies, library, even a drugstore and a soda fountain. But some workers do leave? A few, but they undergo the most meticulous examination through a fluoroscope. I even have to go through it myself. Why, these clothes I'm wearing were handed to me by an armed guard. And still, this guard has got out. Mr. Briggs, do you have any hope of finding the man who's behind all this? Uh, we'll find him. Hello? Briggs talking. I want motion pictures made of every person who leaves the central laboratory of Process 97. Yeah, that's right. And one thing more. Be sure they don't know they're being photographed. Now, we got those pictures all right. Through an X-ray mirror on the side of a truck parked opposite the entrance. And while that was being done, we went to work on the cigarette butt. To uh, be exact, on the lipstick. Our test showed it to be a certain brand made up specially for 98 different beauty parlors. All employees and clients of those beauty parlors were checked. Until the search narrowed down to one particular woman. A woman known to be a Nazi agent. Mr. Briggs, about that Louise Vodya. Hey, you got anything? Yes, sir. We've been taking motion pictures of everybody who came to see her. And? We've checked them against the pictures we got over at Process 97. One of those workers is a friend of Louise Vodya. Who? His name is Roper. We have a picture of him going into her house. Uh, you got anything else? Yes, sir. We made a search while she was out. The typewriter checks. It's the one on which those formulas were written. Well, that, that much adds up. The lipstick girl delivered the data to Elsa. Roper smuggled it out to her. We still don't know how. We've got to find out how. We won't bring him in until we do. That's funny. We didn't figure out the answer. We got it from Germany. A message came through for Bill. It said, On orders from Mr. Christopher, Max Coburg will remove GK2. The Christopher part of it was enough to catch my attention. But it was Bill Dietrich who explained the rest. GK2. That's a familiar word in Hamburg for a very special type of agent. Yeah? Yeah, it means uh, memory artist. A memory artist? Hamburg was always looking for them. You know, they took a special course to improve their memories even further. You think it's possible for a man to get those formulas out by memory? Complicated stuff like that? Well, it seems incredible, but that's what they're trained to do. Yeah. Well, could be at that. Memory artist. Photographic mind. A little bit at a time. Come on, Bill. Let's take a walk. Where to? <laughs> Broadway. To see some vaudeville agents. Yeah, I used to book that act, mister. A fellow named Roper. That's his picture you got. Hmm, vaudeville, banquets, special parties. Demonstrates, uh... 
demonstrates amazing feats of memory. Ah, that don't mean nothing. They always write their own billing. Hey, what kind of feats? What was the angle? Ah, people would call out things from the audience. They asked for stuff from highbrow books. Sometimes he kept 14 games of chess going at the same time. Lousy game. Yeah, but 14 games at the same time. That would mean a remarkable memory. That's a difference. It ain't box office. I'll take this picture along. You'll get it back. Don't bother, mister. The act is out of date. We're ready to move now. We brought the girl in and picked Roper up, too. It wasn't any job to break them down. We had too much evidence. But the one thing I wanted, I still couldn't get. I, I tell you, I don't know, Mr. Christopher. I've never, I never seen him. All right, Roper. Then, uh, and how did you deliver the formulas? I left them at Lang's bookshop on 59th Street. I put them in a the book called Spencer's First Principles. Those were my instructions. When did you make your last delivery? This morning on my way to work. What was it you delivered? Come on, what was it? The, the latest data. Our final experiments. Come along, Roper. You're under arrest. That meant more secret motion picture work. On Lang's bookshop. Every person who came in or out. And finally, we had a clue. I think we've got something, Mr. Briggs. We got a shot of this man coming out of Lang's bookshop. And we've got the same man on another reel. Yeah, which one? Some stuff we shot last week. He was going into the house on 92nd Street. Did you question Lang? Yes, sir. He admits it's the fellow who picked up the formulas, but he swears he doesn't know who he is. Shall we bring in Elsa Gerhardt now? <laughs> no. No, let's bring in Mr. Christopher. Max. What? Max. What's the matter, Elsa? The courier just brought a letter by way of Italy and Brazil. Oh. A confirmation on those credentials. Look, see what it says. He is forbidden to contact any other... Elsa, it says forbidden. Yes, quite different from the credentials he showed us. Where is he now? At the radio shack. Go out and get him, Max. I want to talk to him. Hello. Hello, that's you, Mr. Briggs? Hey, yes, sir, this is Julius. Hey, yes, sir, a fella just come and took Mr. Bill away. Hey, no, sir, nobody didn't pay no attention to me. I was fixing a fence near the radio shack. Hey, yes, sir, I got a feeling you better hurry. You'd better talk, Dietrich. Come on, talk! Okay. I can keep this up for hours. Oh. That won't do any good, Max. He'll start talking when the injection starts to work. What was it you gave him? Scopolamine. Drugs part of the brain. Maybe working now. Let me have a try. Wake up. Wake up, you! Wake up and talk! Not a chance. All right. We can wait. I'll take it, Max. Yes? I'd like to talk to Bill Dietrich. I'm sorry, he's not here. Listen, we've taken over the ground floor. The house is surrounded. Surrounded? FBI. We'll give you exactly two minutes. Women come out first. The men will follow hands above there. Yes, Max. Turn off the lights. What's the matter? What's up? Something's gone wrong. It's the FBI. It didn't take too long. Things happened pretty fast after that. Bill was in the room. Perhaps he can tell you better than I can. How about it, Bill? Well, I don't know. I was sort of fuzzy right then, but 
Well, it seemed to me that Elsa turned to Max and spouted a lot of orders at him, and then slammed through the door to the other room. Max started piling papers into the fireplace, you know, the old Dodge burning the evidence. But just then, a gas bomb came through the window. That gave me the chance I was waiting for. I tackled Max. For a while, we were all over the place, and the gas was pretty thick. We were coughing and choking. By that time, you were crashing in the door. I thought if I could just hold on, but I couldn't. I was too weak. He shook me off and reached for his gun. I thought I was a goner for sure, but just then, the door to the other room opened. It was awful smoky in there, but we could see a man. Max didn't stop to ask any questions. He started to shoot. Twice, and then again, and again, and whoever it was came stumbling into the room and fell right in front of us. And then, all of a sudden, Max dropped his gun and picked the man up and... He held him in his arms, and he just kept saying over and over, Elsa, Elsa, Elsa. Well, I guess that's just about all, Mr. Briggs. The next second, you and your men were in the room, and Max was going out with his hands above his head. You were looking down at Elsa and telling the others that... Uh, I guess process 97 is safe for a while. There's your Mr. Christopher. Christopher? That's Elsa Gerhardt, isn't it? Sure. She must have made a quick change. You'll find her clothes in the other room, Bill. Yes, but uh, but you said it was Christopher. <laughs> well, don't you see what I see? Huh? Look. A pair of pointed patent leather shoes. And so we seal up the doors of the house on 92nd Street. But before we leave the premises for good, here are Humphrey Bogart and Keith Brussell back on stage for a few final words. And you, I, I can promise there'll be very few. You don't have to be an FBI inspector to know what this show means to us in Hollywood. It supports one of our greatest causes, the motion picture country house and hospital. And believe me, all of us are happy to share in that work by appearing here. Keith, am I right? All the way, Bogie. Well, I guess that wraps it up, so let's run along, huh? Oh, hit and run, huh? What's your hurry? Well, Hugh Douglas is waiting to announce next week's show, and besides... The... Now, go ahead. Go on. Well, don't you have to get home and polish that Oscar you won for the African Queen? That does it. Good night, everybody, and thanks. Thanks again. Good night. Don't forget, drama fans, every Saturday in the daytime on most of these same stations, you're invited to enjoy Theater of Today, Stars Over Hollywood, Grand Central Station, and City Hospital. Four outstanding dramatic programs with Broadway and Hollywood stars in the leading roles, with stories specially written for your entertainment. Listen in this Saturday and every Saturday in the daytime hours for Theater of Today, Stars Over Hollywood, Grand Central Station, and City Hospital. On CBS Radio, of course. This is Hugh Douglas speaking. Today, as more and more women in Navy Blue are seen in the vicinity of naval bases, Americans are reminded of the great services rendered by the women of the Navy during World War II. Now as then, these women are meeting the emergency with magnificent patriotic spirit. At naval communication centers, hospitals, air stations, and a great number of other naval stations, Navy women are performing important duties in more than 28 specialty fields. If you are a young woman between 18 and 26 in good health and would like to do a real job for your country, visit your local friendly Navy recruiter and find out about the many advantages of the United States Navy. 
Learn how good your job can be when you volunteer to wear that navy blue. This is the CBS Radio Network.